This is KDLL 91.9 FM, Kenai Soldatna, listener-supported public radio for the central Kenai Peninsula. You're tuned in to the Kenai Conversation. I'm Hunter Morrison. This episode of Kenai Conversation was recorded on Monday, October 16th. The book release party that is mentioned in this episode occurred on Thursday, October 19th. Today, we are joined in studio by Christine Cunningham and Steve Meyer, authors of the new book, The Land We Share. Uh, We are also joined over the phone by Alaska Geographic's executive director, Andy Hall, who helped to publish the book. And uh, for context, you know, this book is a collection of short essays that, you know, both Steve and and Christine wrote for the Anchorage Daily News. Um, The book's subject is about hunting, but sort of focuses on relationships and connections formed, you know, around hunting on public lands. So first and foremost, I'll throw this question to Steve and and Christine. Um, Tell me about your upbringing and, you know, sort of what drove your passion for the outdoors. Well, I was I was born and raised in Alaska. So uh, although there was hunting going on around me, no one in my family hunted. uh, So but I love the outdoors. That was really where I Uh, my most worthwhile experiences were outside as a kid and I didn't get to uh, hunt for the first time until Steve invited me or he will say I invited myself along on a duck hunt. I was about 27 at the time. Okay, great. And uh, Steve, what about you? I was, uh, my formative years were spent on a farm in North Dakota. My family, my dad in particular, was a hunter. All his buddies were hunters. And so I, I grew up around it, and I started going with him when I was like five years old. And, and pretty soon, by the time I was eight, I kind of had the run of the country. And uh, <clears throat> so that that was kind of my introduction to public land. There was a, a small section of National Wildlife Refuge property near my home. And, and so I, I kind of spent most of my time there, mostly to get away from my mother because she thought I was a heathen. And uh, but then in seventy, in the fall of seventy, my dad came up here, went on a moose hunt, came home, and said, "You're moving to Alaska," <laughs> which was awesome. And so, so and I've been here ever since. And, uh, hunted all my life. Will continue to hunt all my life. Great. And, you know, in that same light, what sort of inspired you guys to, you know, uh, begin writing outdoors columns for the Anchorage Daily News? Yeah, so Steve and I had been writing, we did an alternating newspaper column with uh, the Readout Reporter, which is community paper. Uh, Jenny Nyman, who's at KDLL now, was the, the publisher and editor. So we had some experience with that. And then largely we wrote for, for outdoor hunting audiences writing for publication. So when the Anchorage Daily News opportunity came along to write another alternating column, we thought it would be really neat to write for general audiences. So the, the idea behind that column was really just to share experiences in that outdoors, mostly hunting. Uh, Steve? Yeah, it was a wonderful opportunity. We've both been writing for a long time, but not necessarily <clears throat> real active in publications until about the last, what, 12, 12 years or so. So 
We, we wrote a lot for, like Christine says, the various outdoor magazines mostly, and have always, we both have always enjoyed writing, so it's a great fit for us. I read both of your <laughs> bios in the book, and, um, you know, each of you have a slightly different yet similar interpretations of, you know, uh, of what this book is sort of about. So I guess in your own words, um, tell me what you think this book is about. I think this book is really a, a celebration of, of what's possible out, outside. And it's a lot of it's about relationships and connections and, and a long relationship over time. So most of the places that Steve and I hunt are on public lands. Uh, we go year round, so even when it's not the hunting season. And so it, it's an opportunity to go to the, some of the same places again, some places for the first time. Uh, the things that you discover out there, the things you discover through going with the dogs or through whatever it is that you're doing. And for me, most of my life, hiking wasn't hunting. There's just a different uh, mode of attention when you're hunting. You're participating, and so you, it, it's really something that I think people who maybe aren't hunters or don't know why that would be interesting or what that has to offer, maybe it's insight into that. Maybe it's insight into what it's like to go with dogs and how they, they open up the country for you. Um, but mostly I think it, they're relatable stories that you don't have to necessarily be a hunter to appreciate or feel like that's something that you can understand and have access to. Yeah, it, it's kind of like the byline on the, beneath the title says, it, it's a love story told in hunting stories. but. It's a love of the land, the love of the dogs, the love of each other, it, and it's a, a real, in my mind, it's a, it's a very uh, spiritual journey, this, this whole thing has been. Um, I'm, I'm not really a religious person, but I'm very spiritual, have kind of followed the old ways in terms of like the, the Lakota people who I'm related to, and so, the land and and it's it's kind of a circular thing for me everything's connected to everything else and, and there's probably no better way to experience that than to be able to roam the country and in alaska you can roam almost anywhere there's so much public land and it's been a blessing our dogs can be out there we can be out there and like Christine says, it, because this this is more of a way of life than a than something we do for fun. We just we're always out, always making the connections, keeping the connections, looking out for what's going on, where we go. So that's really what it's about. Cool. And and Andy, you know, you you helped to publish the book, so I'm I'm curious to get sort of um, your perspective on on uh, your interpretation of what the book is about. Well, sure. Um, you know, the book came about because of uh, Alaska Geographic as a partner of Alaska's public land agencies. And our, at the core of what we do, we're trying to co connect people to Alaska's public lands. And the column that ran in the Daily News was, um, I, I was a fan of it for a long time because I felt like they were getting a little deeper in the in the hunting writing than pursuing trophies, bragging about, you know, numbers of ducks, et cetera. 
they were talking about the experience. Um, there was also a, a guy by the name of Kevin Painter, who is our liaison with the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service, who was probably a bigger, even a bigger fan than I was. And so we started talking about how to remind people that a lot of public land activity is hunting. And we came upon the idea of approaching Steve and Christine about the, put, compiling a book and they bid on it. You know, having been in the writing business in my, in a, my prior career, it's unusual for a publisher to go to a writer and offer something. It's often the other case, but we felt like they were capturing the essence of what's important about public lands. And so I think Kevin might have reached out and they probably thought it would they thought it was a good idea and we you know it kind of went from there okay great and you know christine and steve when you guys you know started um when, well when did you guys start writing columns for the uh, anchorage daily news uh i think it's been about seven years ago uh, we're both kind of on a hiatus right now but um, probably we'll get back to it at some point but uh, yeah about, about seven years Okay, and you know, um, when you were writing for you know this column, you you had really no anticipations of you know publishing a book with these columns. You know, I guess kind of piggybacking off of something Andy said. You know, what was sort of your inspiration for you know publishing this book and getting it out there? I think Kevin had a lot to do with it. The way he he mentioned the idea and and his passion for for the the project was really inspirational throughout. It's been a pleasure working with, with him and, and Alaska Geographic on this. And I think what was really fun for me, my favorite part was probably working with Kathy Lovely who did the, the design and the illustrations that are in the book uh, because she just was able to, to tune in to, because the hardest part, the columns were there the, it isn't writing a book, it's putting one together and picking out the themes and, and putting them in a, in, a, in a way that readers will enjoy. And so Kathy was just able to enhance that with, uh, with the illustrations that she did. So a lot of the conversations were about how do we, how do we group the subject matter, how do we, how do we highlight what, we're, what the stories are with, with illustrations. And so it was really fun for us. I learned a lot. Yeah, the process has, has been really cool. It took about 18 months from the time we first conceived this thing. And <clears throat> but you know, for for us, and, and you'll, people that read the book will see that, one of the things that's been so rewarding for Christine and I is as, as we started writing and as we, you know, when we're out doing things and we'll run into people and they'll recognize, most of the time they recognize Christine and then, and then uh, <clears throat> we'll talk. And, and so many of those people are, are outdoor people, but they're not hunters. And yet they still appreciated the stories that we were telling. And, and so that was really a, a, a cool thing for me. And when Kevin and Andy came forward, it was like, yeah, that, that's really what we're trying to do anyway, is, is share this and, and encourage people that, you know, anybody can do this. In that book, anything that, that we've done, anybody else can do it. 
and all it takes is a little hard work. So. Okay, great. And I guess each of you, and I'll, I'll throw the question to Andy first. Um, tell me about the you know the process of of getting this book published and out there. Well, from a publisher's standpoint, it was a pretty easy process because the writing was done and the writing was already such high quality. But the, you know, probably the biggest chore was paring it down. They had quite a few essays between the two of them, and we had to decide on the size of the book and then get input into what what they wanted to see in the book and what you know the, myself and Kevin and the other people involved in uh, putting it together. That's a that's a good place to start from. Um, it's different than starting from scratch, which could add years to a you know project like this. But we all liked we all liked the writing, and I think it was a matter of kind of paring it down. And I, I think Steve and Christine can talk more about how the book kind of progressed thematically. But we started to narrow the list down, and then we engaged uh, Kathy Lepley, who uh, they had mentioned is a really fine illustrator, who then worked with photos that Steve and Christine provided. And as the book came together, it, you know, as the thematic pieces came together, then the selection of the images and then the creation of the line drawings came in. And then, you know, it, it kind of felt like it fell together pretty naturally. Um, I've, I've been involved in projects that did not go as smooth as this, whether it's an overbearing editor or a intransigent writer or, you know, but we all got along. We all really loved the writing. And I, I think there were a few times when we argued about which way a goose was flying in an illustration. And I maybe once had to step in and say, put the goose here, let's move on. But beyond that, you know, it came together really well. And, the, and you know, it's been out for a little while. We haven't made a lot of noise about it. But the feedback we're getting from the folks who read it has been really outstanding. And it's not just hunters. It's about dogs. It's about dogs and people. It's about, you know, a relationship between two people. So there's a lot there to to uh, to read when you when you pick the book up and start looking at it. Great. And uh, Christine? Yeah, I was just, I really appreciated Andy's stepping in and making a decision about the goose. <laughs> Some of those conversations were, were pretty funny, but I think it showed how much everybody cared that was working on the project. It's a small and hardworking team. And um, I just, I loved that it would matter, the, the tilt of the, the goose's wings um, the in flight, you know, and all, all the little, all the little decisions that were made along the way. I, I didn't know there was so many decisions to be made, but um, I think that it was, it was fun to, to learn all of that. And, and to Andy's point about, you know, how did we, what were some of the thoughts behind the scenes and, and making the selections for me, I thought about a lot of different things, like the, the seasons of, of the year, the seasons of the dogs' lives, the, the fact that I was coming at, at hunting and the outdoors as a hunter from an adult perspective. So it's like I'm an adult onset hunter. And here's Steve. He was raised on a farm, and it's, it's very natural to him. Uh, and so his story, 
and my story together with the dogs at different ages. There are just so many different angles into that to, to show people. And thinking that through was a way of reliving all of those experiences in a new way. So it was super rewarding for me. Yeah, it was. And, you know, one of the most difficult things for us in the process was figuring out which ones we were going to use. We had well over 200 that we were looking at, trying to figure out. More than that, I, I don't know. I know it was a lot. So Christine and I spent, we probably were the big holdup because we spent so much time going through these and rereading them. And, you know, it's, it, I suppose it, it's human nature. You don't want to cut out any of them because you love them all. And so, but um, Andy and Kevin and everybody on the team helped us with that a lot too. Like Andy says, it was great. We had a great time with all the people involved. And just a super cool experience. Were there certain essays that um, maybe you had to cut out, but you like really wanted in there? It's tough. I'm the. I think it came down to, and, and Kevin and Andy were both great, and, and Kathy too, it, it's sort of the divining point of, of what to consider and what not, and things I needed to hear, they were always right there. Andy with his publishing experience and, and the, the team at Alaska Geo. So I think that for me, I could give up something with a little bit of help, <laughs> but um, mostly, I think I nerded out really bad in the process because I made a spreadsheet and I was <laughs> I was hashtagging themes and and reordering it and sorting it. So I, I don't I felt like maybe people were starting to be like that's an unbearable amount of <laughs> organizing. But for um, me, <laughs> for, Steve, for being a nerd <laughs> by our own admission, yeah, it was it was in, borderline insanity is what I thought. It came from a place of really caring <laughs> about getting it right, and I feel like we did. I'm really proud of the book. Um, it's, I think it's as good as it could be, um, and I think that whatever we did leave out, it, it's, it's still out there, um, but if it was left out, it probably wasn't a part of this story um, because where we ended up, so I think it's, it, it's a good place. And One of the other things we haven't talked about too much is the other um, partners that joined this project. And for us, that was really a significant thing when uh, the Park Service came on and supported it and the Bureau of Land Management. So, so to have those, those folks involved with it really, um, really kind of solidified the whole idea that this is a really good thing and it's really talk, it's, it's talking to everybody. And, you know, tell me about how those groups sort of helped uh, with the book. Well, Kevin was a champion for, for that. He, when, when he kind of got this going and Andy and him talked, then he, he just, I, I might be, I don't want to mis, misstate what he did, but basically started talking to people, started showing them the writing, some of the stuff that we'd done, and, and they're like, yeah. So... I mean, that's, that's pretty simple, but that's, I think that's what happened. Okay. And, you know, you guys a few minutes ago alluded to 
you know, canine companionship within the book. You know, what would you say in, you know, there's even a picture of a dog on the, on the, on the front cover. So, you know, what would you say is the importance of, you know, this relationship with our canine counterparts? Well, you know, dogs have been a part of hunting my entire life. I grew up with hunting dogs, labs, golden retrievers, Chesapeake retrievers. So I've always had dogs. <clears throat> there was a, a period during my professional life that I was pretty tied to the work, so I didn't have dogs for kind of a long time. But then when, when Christine came along and we started, and actually during that time I didn't hunt much either. So Christine and I, when we got together and Christine invited herself hunting, that was kind of the turning point, and uh, and it wasn't long after that that Christine, we were hunting with my dad and another fellow in North Dakota, and and they had dogs, and um, Christine just fell in love with the dog. She 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 was a dog person, but not not to have as a like we call them a family member. So she she just stepped out there and got a lab and. About the same time I got another lab. Both of them were rescue dogs. And um, well, let me help. Let me help that story a little bit. So when we're in North Dakota, this dog, his name was Windsor. He's a little English cocker, and he's working the field. It's a pheasant field in front of us, and uh, all day long he's just working so hard and loving every minute of it. And at the end of the day, his owner, Ed, his name is Eddie, Steve's dad's best friend, they've hunted their whole lives together, Eddie says, you know, I'm only here because of the dog. If it weren't for him, I wouldn't be here. And at the time, I'm thinking, what the heck? I'm thinking about getting a dog because there's ducks I can't get to, and here this guy's going because of the dog. Like, that seemed backwards to me. Um, now, all these years later, I totally get that. There are so many days we go because the dogs want to go, and, and that's great. I mean, that's part of... Um, part of sharing it is is just having that connection with them and it's so different to me to follow a dog into the mountains and and really go where they're taking you where their nose is taking you or even out on the flat sitting in a blind with a dog and and watching them flinch when they see ducks in the air it just it just adds something so visceral to the experience to to share that with with dogs if you're just joining us, this is the Kenai Conversation. We are joined in studio by Christine Cunningham and Steve Meyer, authors of the new book, The Land We Share. We are also joined over the phone by Alaska Geographic's executive director, Andy Hall, who helped publish the book. The book is a collection of short essays both Steve and Christine wrote for the Anchorage Daily News. And, you know, uh, throughout the book, there are varying themes um, from invitation to perspective to getting to know the country and, and so on and so forth. You know, um, I guess tell me about tell me a little bit more about these themes throughout the book. Go ahead, Christine, if, you, if you'd like. Sure. Um, the themes, the themes really helped us pick out the columns. They helped us clarify the process. I, everyone was involved in coming up with what those themes would be and, and making sure they were right. And I think it was an iterative process and it, it was constantly we were tuning to the, the idea, the shared idea. So um, those ones, to me, they came out of, for me, my input into them was out of that process I told you about where I was just like, what, what keeps coming up? What, 
what's worth sharing here? What, what's a constant theme? And then some of them, it was difficult because there's several themes that are repeated. So it's like something might fit into another section, but it fit this one more. So it was uh, definitely a process. I think there's, there's probably more themes than are stated in those sections that are important. But it, I think it helps the reader follow, follow a story of, you know, it starts with an invitation, but, um, and then, then you gain perspective. And so it, they build on each other, I think. Yeah, that's, that's a pretty apt description, I think. And, and it was a process. Everything was a process. I mean, it was not like we got together on a Saturday and said, oh, we'll do this. It was, it was very well thought out with a lot of help from about a lot of good people. So. And uh, Andy, how would you say that you've helped, um, you know, sort of sort out the themes for this book? I mostly stayed out of the way. That's the best way to get <laughs> But, um, you know, I think it was just, you know, it's hard for me to say what my biggest role was. I wanted to make sure that Steve and Christine knew that their voice was important in the assembly and creation of the book. And, um, you know, I'm trying to think if there's anything specific beyond that. You know, I've had, I used to be a journalist and I used to run a Alaska magazine and I've written a book. So I've been through the process. So I was able to speak, you know, with some authority, but uh, mostly I just wanted them to be willing you know, and able to speak up and feel like they were heard. And the same with all the other contributors, you know, the, uh, the, the artist, Kathy had some suggestions and I think we, I did, I did overrule her on the goose placement, but other than that, we, <laughs> we, we listened and, uh, you know, and I guess just appreciating what they were doing. We, uh, you know, I kind of felt like we all had a lot of things in common in an unusual way. Uh, Christine and I were both born in Sitka and moved away when we were young and didn't hunt when we were younger. My dad was a, re a park superintendent with the National Park Service. And uh, and then I got into it later. Kevin grew up hunting, moved to Alaska. Steve grew up hunting, moved to Alaska a little earlier than Kevin. But we had a lot of things in common in the way we, I think, the way we approached the content and appreciated it. And we all love dogs. Um, when Steve and Christine came up for a meeting, we all took a break and went out and hung with their dogs for a minute or two. And, and uh, you know, it's, I think the, you know, just, just recognizing the honesty that they brought to the project was probably the piece I was trying to bring to the equation. And Andy, I'll throw this question to your to you first. You know, what would you say is your maybe one of your favorite essays or, or one that stands out from this book? My favorite one is called "Old Duck Gun" by Steve, and it's just the way he's he's talking to. I don't want to spoil it, but he's he's talking to one of the dogs, and it's a little bit of a it's a little bit of a retrospective and a little bit of here's what's going on and a little bit of the future, but it could be because Steve and I are of a similar age, uh, the way we're looking at life. But uh, I thought that was one that the voice, the voice was just right on and the tone and the, 
the conversation and and if once you hear Steve's voice and you read the book, you will never not hear Steve's voice as you read. And the same with Christine. So I'd have to say that's my favorite. And Christine, I'll I'll throw that same question at you. You know, what would you say is your favorite essay in the in the book, or you know, maybe one that sort of stands out to you? I hadn't thought about that until you asked. Actually, <laughs> that's interesting. Um, what first came to mind, and I'll just go first thought, best thought, is Steve writes uh, an essay from the perspective of one of our dogs, and it's Parker. And I, I would only say it's my favorite because it makes me feel the most. I can't, I, sometimes I won't even, I'll flip through the book and I'll skip that whole area because I don't want to go there. It's just such an emotional essay. And um, there's, there's so many things I read where I can almost, I tune out and maybe I've read a page and did I just read a page and I have to go back. But um, certainly, you know, Steve's my partner, but I also really appreciate that I can't, I can't stop reading once I've started some of the things that he's written. Uh, and that one in particular, um, it's just so pure and it comes from, there's, it's completely authentic and it doesn't have any sort of contrivance about it. it it's as, as honest as crying. Uh, and I just think that's great, even though it's hard sometimes to read something. And they're, they're not all like that. I mean, it's just, it, it hits you out of nowhere in, in the book. But um, I think that I, I really appreciate that honesty. And, and Steve, same question. Uh, yeah, it is a tough question. And, and oddly enough, um, I have to go along with Andy, that the one Andy's talking about might be might be a personal best. That one, that one, I don't want to be a spoiler either, but I'll tell you, one of the things that we'll be doing when we do a presentation at the college, we'll be reading. And so trying to find one, that's the first one I went to. And, and I made the decision that I, I could not do that. And whenever folks read the book, they'll understand why I couldn't do that. But um, So I settled on another one. But You know what, the truth is they're all there. Christine, she, she writes in a much different style than me, but she's so eloquent and explains things so well. Um, she's got several of them and, uh, that I just love. One of them, one of them uh, of course I can't remember the titles because I, I just remember the times, but most everything, you know, revolves around the dogs, and it's pretty hard to go wrong when you're when you're talking about something you love that much. Not to put you guys on the spot here, but I do have a copy of the book. Would either of you, or both of you, care to maybe read an essay from the book? Oh wow! <laughs> um, well, Christine's really good at reading. <laughs> An essay. That might take a little bit of time. That, uh... That's totally fine. Hmm. Wow. Maybe you have another question while I flip through here and pick <laughs> one out. <laughs> um, you know, what would you say is sort of, I guess, the importance of this book? I think, um, for me anyway, the importance of this book, the importance of the writing both of us has done is just... Um, trying to 
preserve something good in the world. Trying to to let folks know that it's out there, and you know it's um, you know it is about hunting, but it's about so much more than that. It's about how the world uh, sees nature and how we treat nature and how you know there's things we could do better that that's not really talked about much in the book but but the idea is maybe maybe it just gives folks things to think about when they're out and doing things and and recognize all of, maybe all of a sudden because a lot of folks don't really understand how what a gift public land is to Alaska I mean it, it's incredible what, what we have available to you know I have <coughs> one the the cover of this book speaks to a central character in the book Winchester he was our first setter and his life has been magnificent he's been able to do things that if we didn't have the public land we have his life wouldn't have been anywhere near that good I mean most dogs don't get down other places don't have the run of the country like we do and, and it really allowed us to witness um, something special because of the terrain the, the things that we see and uh, so I, I just hope that that comes across well and I think it's important and Christine same question what would you say I guess is the importance of this book the importance of this book um, wow I think if you know land really speaks for itself uh, I think that people will um, people who love it will maybe find a way of, of loving it through a new lens whether it's Steve or me or the dogs um, I think there's things in there that you might identify with uh, if you've seen it before and I, I love the comments from readers a lot through the through our time at the ADN uh, readers would would always point out something to me then I'd be surprised that they would see it that way or um, it would it would feel new to them that way um, my favorite was the school teachers that talk to you about grammar but probably the most interesting thing is one time Steve and I were approached to do uh, a presentation for um, IHEA I think with when they were in Alaska and they said will you guys uh, present on hunting nobody knows what those letters okay. are <laughs> alphabet soup uh, hunter's ed so um, they asked you know us to present on hunting ethics and they said well you know you guys are always writing about hunting ethics and I was like we are <laughs> So it's just interesting, you talked about the themes and how they came about. Sometimes you're writing and you think you're writing about one thing, but really what people are reading from wherever they're coming from, they're seeing it a different way. So that was that was always cool for me. And um, I don't know, I think the, the value of this book is, is sharing what we've experienced and what's possible and uh, people who who share it too will enjoy it and maybe people who hadn't thought this much was possible will seek it out. And Andy, I'll, I'll throw this question to you as uh, Christine is gearing up to, to read an excerpt from the book. You know, what would you say is the value or importance of this book? Well, I always like to see people promote activity on public lands, but I think the message this book brings is 
have your own experience out there. It doesn't have to be on a four-wheeler, on a mountain bike, or on a boat screaming up a river. You can go out and and have kind of an interaction with the landscape, and it's your own interaction. And these guys bring that. It's not it's not an exterior. We had a wild time. It's you're hearing it from the inside. It's their interior or their personal experiences that come to light. And they bring the perspective of kind of a, a veteran and somebody new. And I'd like to think it helps people believe that they could go out and have those types of experience for themselves. It's, you know, it's not tied to locations. I don't think any few, if any specific locations are brought in. It's just being out there and having an experience, whether it's way out there or just a hundred yards off a trail. Okay, great. Christine, are you uh, ready to ready to read us a little uh, essay from the book? Sure. I was just having Steve help me make the final selection here. I think either one. I'm okay. going to do like you do when we're trying to decide what to eat. <laughs> All right, I'll just go with the first thought. Um, this one is called Nothing in Nature is Dirty. Before there were birds and bird dogs in my life, my experience outdoors was rather dirt-free. I worked as a court reporter at the time and clerked a criminal trial in which the defense called an expert on dust to the stand. He wore a bow tie and his field of experience was called microspectrophotometry. When asked how he came to the field, Instead of listing his course of study and degrees, he told the jury about being a young boy sitting in a sunbeam and his first realization that dust contained a piece of everything in the room. I kept the recording of the proceedings throughout the trial. I cannot remember the case or the outcome, but the words of the man in the bow tie stayed with me. He reminded me of my five-year-old self when I wondered if the dust coming in the window came from the sun or if the sun only revealed the dust. Was inside the house dirtier than outside? Was it true what the boy at school said about dust under the bed being dead people? My mother provided no help. When I brought her wild poppies from outside, she screamed that they were covered in bugs and threw them out the front door. She was right. Bugs covered my hand-picked flowers, and I stopped picking flowers. When I was eight years old at fishing camp, my cousin dropped something large and wet down the back of my shirt. He then ran a distance away from me and stopped to watch my reaction. I felt a warm sensation against the small of my back. Then I felt a pulse. I screamed in horror and untucked my shirt. I imagined a live squirrel or bird. The object turned out to be a still-beating king salmon heart. Their hearts still beat even when they're out of their bodies, his sister told me. She held the heart while I vowed never again to touch a bloody dying thing. Without realizing it, the idea that there was something dirty about bugs, worms, and blood became an indisputable fact of my life. Meanwhile, sterile paper and ink filled my grown-up work days. Antibacterial soap and signs reminding me to wash my hands seemed to imply I was a walking public safety hazard despite my best efforts. At the time, no dog or dog hair graced my furniture, not so much as a plant required water, and there's no messy fire to warm the house. My work, home, and car were all equally devoid of nature. On weekends, I hiked into the mountains and stayed on the trail, and I'd never been hunting or even considered it. 
My first journey out onto the duck flats to hunt waterfowl came with the understanding I was well out of my comfort zone. As an adult, my goal was to open my eyes to the unavoidable reality that the cost of my existence required that creatures die so that I could live, whether they died in the harvesting of vegetables, the manufacturing of hiking boots, or at my hands. My first hurdle before learning about animals, habitat, and firearms was overcoming my dread of dirt. One morning that first season, Steve scooped up river mud and put it on his face while we were in a duck blind and suggested I do the same. My white face was causing the ducks to flare. I hesitated. Surely he was kidding. Think of it like the mud you'd get put on your face in one of those women's spa things, he said. At the time, I thought the comparison was far-fetched, but I pulled off a glove, took two fingers worth of mud, and ran it down my cheeks and across my forehead and wiped the last of it on my chin. The cold mud stuck to my skin and dried quickly in the wind. My expression must have revealed that I felt like microscopic bugs were crawling all over my face because he assured me nothing in nature is dirty. I'm going to skip a little bit here to the last few paragraphs. Um, Steve's comment seemed ridiculous to me the first time I heard it. How could dirt not be dirty? What's dirty is well-handled money, the remote control, cell phones, keyboards, buttons on a vending machine. Nature offers cold mountain creeks, wind-blown grass, steep rock faces, shorelines, and swamps teeming with life. Beautiful, dirty, and dangerous. It's a continuously self-cleaning environment and provides a calling for us to return to our nature. When someone, objects to the, uh, when someone mentions the objectionable blood, guts, and dirt involved in hunting, I can't help but think about the man with a bow tie describing a dust particle as containing a piece of everything in the room. Wow. And, you know, what was sort of, I guess, your thought process, your inspiration when you sat down and wrote this piece? Oh, that's interesting. <laughs> um, nothing in nature is dirty was really the thought process. I, I think it really, I'm naturally squeamish. It's not something I'm proud of, but a lot of times I'm like, oh, that's a, uh, um, and when we went out onto the, the flats duck hunting the first time, there was, um, shrews and, and spiders and, and voles darting into the bushes and rotting salmon. And uh, I just remember at one point Steve said, we're going to have to get down on our knees. I was like, oh, okay. And I'm in borrowed gear. I'd, I'd recently learned how to use a shotgun. So we're inching along on our knees. And he says, we're, we're going to have to crawl now. And I just thought to myself, are you? I don't know. Like, this might be it. Like, this might be as much as I'll do. Um, and so I did, I crawled, I used the shotgun to clear my path, and, um, you know, after that day, and there was a point in it where I'd shot once, and I was clean miss, my first shot ever at, at, at Wildfowl, and um, Steve picks up my ejected hull, and he holds it up to my nose, and he says, this is what fall smells like to me. And up until that point, you no, know, fall smells like school supplies, or what does fall smell like? I, I just never, I didn't realize there was something so magical and possible. And I was like, gosh, I, I missed more than my shot here. Like, I, I missed something that's a whole world um, that I'd, I'd walked into uh, in the middle of and um, rather badly. <laughs> and uh, I, I, wanted to, I wanted to try again. I wanted to understand more. Uh, I kept learning more. I, I see things 
better now because when I looked out at those flats years ago on the way to work, they looked like, oh, that's not a place where you could build things. Now I look out there and it's all the memories, the time in the duck blinds, what, what's really in those environments, how rich they are with life and everything. So I think when I say nothing in nature's dirty, I just, the thought was how strange dirt not being dirty seemed to me then and how now I'm at this place where it's like, gosh, it's so clean to just be out there in something that's part of the natural world. So you would say that that, you know, that moment, that first time you went duck hunting, that was sort of a life-changing moment for you. Absolutely. Absolutely life-changing. And, and Steve, you know, um, what are sort of your thoughts on that moment, you know, taking Christine out duck hunting for the first time? You know, when, when that whole thing started, when she invited herself along, um, of course, there was some things she had to know. And, and I mean, I, I started duck hunting when I was like six years old. And so, but when I was six years old, my dad and his friends, um, they treated me like I was one of them. And so, and that meant that I had to do whatever needed to be done. And... <clears throat> There wasn't any uh, coddling or any of the things that you often hear about, well, you got to do this with a new hunter, you got to do that. And there was none of that. But part of that probably was because my father knew how much I loved just being out there. And so with Christine, when she did that, I thought, well, I'm going to treat her the same way as I was treated when I started out. And so everything I did was was around that I told her when we first started I said you know there's no genders in hunting um, she's like well what does that mean I said well well it what it means is there's things that you experience and things that you you have to react to as a hunter in the natural world that that don't care what you are um, you're just a, you have to be responsible you have to take care of whatever it is that you're doing you have to be able to take care of the animals you have to be able to know all the things that you need to know before you go out there and start um, taking animals and and you know you have to understand that there's going to be times when you're as happy as you've ever been and as sad as you've ever been in the same moment and, and so I told her that, and then when we went, we just went. And so um, <coughs> Christine, she's so smart and so thinks about things so much, but she now she has she seen how other um, new new people have been introduced to hunting and, and some of the other ways that it happens. And she's told me several times if I had no treated it the way I treated it, she might not have been interested, so. And, and Steve, I guess, um, you know, I already asked Christine about her first experience duck hunting, but kind of, you know, elaborate about your first experience duck hunting. Well, um, my, my first experience actually being in the field with my dad and friends was actually goose hunting. And uh, he had, he, I kept bugging him, and he finally let me go along. I wasn't carrying a gun, but um, we started out. It was dark, and and back in North Dakota, you would 
scout at night, figure out where the geese were, and then you formulate a plan to intercept them in the morning. So we had to go across this plowed stubble field, and it was wet, and, and so it was pretty miserable. I mean, your boots get caked with this Red River Valley mud, and it's just, they're heavy, and, and it was cold, it was wet. So they take off to where they're going. I'm, I'm this little kid, and, and they don't ever even look back. I just, they just assume I'm coming. And, and eventually they, they got to a, I saw where they stopped. It was enough light I could see, but I remember at, by that time I was, I was tired. I was struggling, you know, and, and uh, but then when we got there, my dad told me what was going to happen. This is how the geese are going to fly. Just be quiet, sit tight. And uh, so, so when they, and what happens is geese will lift off those places that they're at at night and they'll fly. And, and it, it's somewhat of a gamble which way they're going to go, but you, you gauge the wind and all those things. So they had done that. And all of a sudden, these huge geese are flying over us and there was, shots going off and and uh, the geese fell down some of them and and so they said okay let's go get them and so we and they, these are big birds you know I'm five years old but they let me carry two of them back to the truck and and then they said well now you gotta learn how to clean them and that and so I did and just ever since, I, I, it's just been a part of my life. Okay, great. And you know, you you said that you you grew up in in North Dakota. What are some of the similarities and differences between hunting there and then hunting here in Alaska? Well, for waterfowl, um, we we were close to what's called the prairie pothole region, which has got hundreds of small ponds and where dabbling ducks will come to. So um, there's places in Alaska out west that are kind of like that, but not, not here. So um, that's different. Um, plumage. Yeah. The plumage. Yeah, that's the big thing. Um, duck season starts September 1st in Alaska. Well, September 1st, all the ducks look brown where in North Dakota when season started, all the, the drake ducks had their plumage and they're, you know, they're beautiful like they are in the spring. So, so you could tell what you were, you know, what you were shooting at in turn, what kind of a duck was it? Was it a male or a female? In Alaska, that, that's hard to do. But so that's something I had to learn by watching them, being, real attentive to how each species flies and uh, being attentive to the size and and you know eventually you get to where you can tell it doesn't matter that they're brown you know what they are and over the years Christine has picked up on that she still isn't a hundred percent but she's gotten pretty good but here um, there the public land again going back to the public land there was some public land where I was but here it's just you know I talked about the refuge where I grew up where I could go to this place 
Well, then we get here, and all of a sudden I have another refuge that's enormous, which at that time was the Kenai National Moose Range, and then it turned into a, uh, the National Wildlife Refuge. But I went from there to this, and, and it was just a whole new world. You know, back where I'm from, we didn't have forests like, like we have here. So I learned how to, to operate in the forest, the thick cover, and and we didn't have mountains either and that was for me the best thing about alaska the mountains that's that's what i love is being in the mountains so the effort to go hunting in alaska is much much more difficult than north dakota um, you know we hunt on foot we don't use you know we just hunt on foot so everywhere we go in the mountains it's a climb and uh, so yeah, it's it's different. Um, there, truthfully, there's a lot more opportunities to shoot a lot of birds and stuff like that in North Dakota because there's just so so much agricultural influence for pheasants and sharp tails and all that. But um, you get, I guess, my whole life I, I've been. If you don't work for it, it's not really, it doesn't mean a lot. And so Alaska is great for that. It's, some people tell me I'm too old for Alaska. <laughs> so I'm fighting that. But <laughs> and, you know, Christine, um, you know, Steve here has been hunting pretty much his whole life. But, you know, how long would you say you've been hunting for? I'm really bad at math, but <laughs> I think it about... 20, 20 years, 15? Pretty close. Yeah, Pretty almost close 20, 20 years. Okay, great. Um, and so for this last question that I have, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw it to Andy first. You know, what do you hope that sort of readers um, of this book sort of um, take away from it? Well, I hope they're willing to go out and mirror some of what Steve and Christine do and have their own experience and, and not judge success by what you come home with in the bag or in the cooler, but success is, is the experience, you know, going out and having an experience and bringing it home because those don't get freezer burned and get tossed in the dumpster. They're, they're with you forever. And Christine, what about you? Andy said it really well. Um, the, yeah, I think I want people to live it too. Um, I see a lot of people, even, I mean, people go to public lands for so many different reasons. Some, some people are going for hiking, and I see people beelining for the top, and I, I want to just give them these, this, this opportunity to see what else in the present moment when you just let, let the, the place uh, interact with you, have a conversation with it, have a connection with it, a relationship with it. Um, and, and that can happen in any outdoor pursuit. Um, if you if you just take the time and open up to it, there's this this wealth of of possibility that's so rewarding for Steve and I. But if if people can share that, that's great. I I want more people to have that experience. One of the things Andy mentioned uh, about the book was that we don't identify places. There's there's very few things that we identify as a place in the book, and part of that is because Part of the adventure, part of the wonder of all this, is finding it yourself. 
um, you know, if you can follow the crowd or whatever and, and get to a destination. We don't have destination. We're just going and we find new places. And, and by doing that, you build such a wonderful relationship with the country that you're in. And every time you go to a place that you've discovered, it's different than it was the last time. And it's just, it leaves you in, a bit in awe of nature. So um, I, hope, I hope folks get something like that out of it. Great. And um, I guess just tell me a little bit about the release event that you guys have coming up here in a few days. So that is our really our first celebration of the book and, and official launch. Um, the Kenai Peninsula Showcase is, is at the college, and it's part of a longstanding uh, series that they do there. Andy might be able to speak more to how, how it com came about, but it's at 6 p.m. on Thursday. Uh, we're really excited to be there. I'm a little nervous, but Steve assures me it'll be fine. And that's all for this episode of the Kenai Conversation. Thank you to guests Christine Cunningham and Steve Meyer, authors of the new book, The Land We Share, and Andy Hall, Executive Director at Alaska Geographic. You can hear the Kenai Conversation every Wednesday at 10 a.m. and Saturday at 5 p.m. here on KDLL, or you can find it on our website, kdll.org. I'm Hunter Morrison. Thanks for tuning in. Music